This is SMDC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 19 of The High Ground, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's official podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. It's November 2023, and we're pleased to bring you more exclusive content on The High Ground. For this episode, I sat down with SMDC's third and current Command Chief Warrant Officer, CW5 Wesley Dohan. In a couple of minutes, we'll get to know him a little better as he talks about his background, how he came to join the Army, his early career as a short-range air defense artillery soldier and NCO, and his decision to become a technical warrant officer. After that, he'll talk about the role warrant officers play in the Army, some current and upcoming news of interest within the warrant officer cohort, both across the Army and within SMDC, and a little about where his mind is as the command's most senior warrant officer and member of the three-person command team with Lieutenant General Carbler and Command Sergeant Major Foley, a role relatively new to him and many command chief warrant officers throughout the Army. So whether you're a warrant officer within SMDC, a member of the SMDC family across the world, or someone who just happened to find this episode on the web, you won't want to miss out on this unique opportunity. Formalities out of the way, we dig in with Chief Dohan to learn about a young, pre-Army Wesley Dohan, the early parts of his career as an ADA soldier and NCO, right up to the point in his career where he applied to become a warrant officer. Okay. Um, the young me pre-Army is I came from small town, North Carolina, and my dad had served in Vietnam, so I was always enamored with the military. And I decided in middle school that I was going to do a career in the Army. All the way through high school, I was a JROTC cadet. Absolutely loved that the entire time. I never went back and challenged that, so so here I am. In 1993, I joined the Army as an Avenger crew member. I did basic training at Fort Sill in AIT at uh, Fort Bliss. Went straight to 5588 at Camp Stanton in Kwantan, Korea and we moved the base halfway through my tour to uh, Weejambu to Camp Stan Lee. It really confused all the cab drivers because sometimes we would get guys that were headed to Camp Stan Lee at Stanton, and we would get guys at Camp Stanton that were trying to get to Camp Stan Lee. Very humorous at two o'clock in the morning when you <clears throat> can't figure out where your barracks is. From there, I went to uh, Delta 3rd of the 4th ADAR at Fort Bragg, now, now Fort Liberty, and I uh, spent nine years there. Showed up there as a specialist E4, and I left there a staff sergeant. So a really good time. Was privileged to go to the Joint Readiness Training Center. That was one of the best jobs ever. I was a Stinger Avenger OCT at the training center, where I lived two weeks a month out of a Humvee. And, and we had the power of hindsight. You know, we walked around and we got to watch everybody fight the fight. And we just walked around and observed and took notes and gave them uh, doctrinal feedback. But again, best job ever. I left the training center and went to Fort Drum. I went to uh, 3628 AA, 10th Mountain. I was looking for something different because I had done uh, nine years in the 82nd and the three years at JRTC. And as soon as I arrived, came out of the end processing center, reported to the unit, and the command sergeant major tosses me a set of keys. He says, your unit deployed yesterday? 
and you are the rear detachment commander and you are all by yourself. That was that. Then the battalion deactivated. So I was there about a year and a week at 36288 uh, while they were deployed to Afghanistan as the single point of failure for rear detachment commander. Then I was back to Fort Bragg because the unit deactivated. I spent seven months at Fort Bragg, had already submitted my warrant officer packet and uh, shipped off to warrant officer candidate school June of 2005. So around 2003, 2005 timeframe, the idea of becoming a warrant officer starts to enter his mind, but it wasn't an instantaneous decision. There were a few reservations on his part and even some belief that he might not have the requisite background to become an air defense warrant officer. Right around the end of my tour at JRTC in 2003, uh, my peers started talking about it. I had a really good 14 Juliet friend, uh, Sentinel radar operator, who wanted to fly helicopters. And he started talking about becoming a warrant officer. I had no idea about the warrant officer cohort, never even gave it any consideration. And he mentioned, not the aviation side, but the technical side, that I had a technical inclination to get into the details of, of everything that we do. And I was pursuing um, civilian certifications for computer repair, A+, Net+, um, CompTIA certifications. So I, I started looking into it, but I really didn't want to tear away from the NCO Corps. I didn't want to get away from the soldiers. I didn't want to make that separation. And I was really apprehensive about it. Fast forward to 362ADA, a tour of rear detachment commander, uh, that battalion deactivated. Global War on Terror was just getting ramped up. The Shorad community was becoming less relevant at the time. So I said, okay, maybe we'll look deeper into this uh, warrant officer. And oh, by the way, now we're at right at 2004. Technology is really starting to get proliferated throughout the force, right? I mean, we had one or two computers and a battery at that time. And now we've got one on every desk. Right, so a lot of guys can't wrap their heads around the fact that there are two or three computers for 150 people to use. With that technology also came significant growth and the Army had changed to the BCT being the modular building block, the modular fighting force for the Army. And the air defense community went from approximately 45 140 Alphas to 150 just overnight, you know modernization and growth. They were taking several candidates, and I say that because I was over 14 Sierra. I did not have what I would have considered at the time the appropriate background or feeder MOS to become a 140 Alpha. Uh, they let me in because I had the civilian certifications and accreditations on my own. Left in 2005 for WOCS. After nine months of WOCS and WBC, I returned right back to Fort Bragg. 3rd of the 82nd, so now I was in a BCT, the Panther Brigade. And I was the first 140 Alpha on Fort Bragg. Before the discussion went any further about Chief Dohan being a warrant officer, then eventually the Command Chief Warrant Officer at the 10th Army Air and Missile Defense Command, and now at SMDC, I asked Chief to step back a minute and explain a little more about what an Army Warrant Officer actually does. That is, their roles and responsibilities within Army organizations. I asked a technical warrant officer for a doctrinal definition, and Chief did not disappoint, probably quoting word for word from the regulation. 
Fortunately for all of us, he must have seen my eyes starting to glaze over and punched right in with the plain English version of that. Also detailing the important difference between warrant officers, non-commissioned officers, and commissioned officers. Really appreciate that, Chief. Okay. The textbook answer for what a warrant officer is, and this is DAPAM 600-3. The Army Warrant Officer is a technical expert, combat leader, trainer, and advisor. Through assignment experience, training, and education, the warrant officer administers, manages, maintains, operates, and integrates Army systems and equipment across unified land operations. Warrant officers are innovative integrators of emerging technologies, dynamic teachers, confident warfighters, and developers of specialized teams of soldiers. They support a wide variety of Army missions throughout their career. Warrant officers in the Army are accessed with specific levels of technical ability. They refine their technical expertise and develop leadership and management skills through tiered progressive assignments and education. So, that's the APAM 600-3. If you're asking me to say it in English, I would tell you that a warrant officer is a soldier that is intended to apply intense focus on a specific system to get the most out of that system. And the critical difference between commissioned officers, non-commissioned officers, and warrant officers is commissioned officers and non-commissioned officers are written a little bit more, actually quite a bit more general when it comes to the AR-600-20 and assignment instructions of AR-614-100. I wasn't exactly sure how to phrase the next question, but I basically asked him about how roles and responsibilities change for warrant officers as they progress through the ranks from warrant officer one to warrant officer five. Just like an enlisted soldier going from junior enlisted to non-commissioned officer to senior non-commissioned officer. Chief had a great response straight out of doctrine, but this time he simultaneously blended that with his own more easy to understand language. The AR-614-100 tells the Army that warrant officers should be positioned within their MOS. And DAPAM 600-3 goes on to say that a W-1 and a W-2, their job is to learn their job. While they are W-1, W-2, they are to seek out technical expertise, right? You might say discovery learning, you know. You've always heard the phrase, warrant officer saying, watch this, right? <laughs> now... At the W-3 level, they're considered experts in their area, and they start branching out into integration of their own systems into the larger Army system. W-4, we take it to the next level by adding in joint national to their respective systems. And CW-5s are considered the senior experts in their respective fields. Okay, so this next segment is probably my favorite part of our discussion, simply due to the fact that he backed up his answer with a great, so there I was type story. It was also a point-blank defend-yourself question. The Air Force and Space Force, for example, do not have warrant officers, and they are pretty technical in nature. Why does the Army need warrant officers when we already have such an outstanding NCO and officer corps? Okay, a lot, of unpa- lot to unpack there. You are 100% correct. We have great officers and non-commissioned officers. But to respond, why do we need warrant officers I would respond with, our army is incredibly busy and we do not always have the time or the personnel to accomplish the task that that we are assigned. 
Meanwhile, our technology allows us to do much more complex tasks that we don't even often know or realize what we just did. And, and oftentimes we don't understand what we just did. In some cases, that's bad. And I bet most people right now are thinking of some internet of things system or some cloud-based computing, but I've got a much, much less complex task of something that I actually experienced. When I was a young soldier in a field problem, we're driving around in a muddy, hilly terrain in a Humvee, and we needed to take the truck out of high and then the high lock so we could get from end to end, complete the mission. We drove around for two or three hours with the truck in high lock. When we got back to suitable terrain, I put the truck back in the high and the truck was dragging off to one side. I, I thought we had destroyed the truck, but our 915 warrant officer pulls me aside, ground guys me in reverse for about 45 feet, and then he shows me that the truck is fine now. And then he pulls out the TM for the truck and he shows me page and paragraph where the truck will behave in that way if it's been placed in the high lock for some period of time or even uh, low. And basically it builds up torque on the drivetrain and it's in the manual. Now I had spent every Monday for several years with that manual doing PMCS in a motor pool and I had never made it to that chapter. Right? It's, it's deeper into the book. But that warrant officer had, he certainly had uh, been to that chapter he showed me page and paragraph in the TM. So, in my opinion, we need warrant officers to dive deeper into our equipment, watch our soldiers and our non-commissioned officers and officers use our equipment, and to show us how to squeeze a little bit more out of that equipment. Next, I asked him to explain his experience as a command chief warrant officer and some of the things he believed helped him prepare for such responsibilities. What I learned is that there is no clear path of experience, education, or assignments that effectively help senior warrant officers step into the role as a member of a now three-person command team at the one to four star level headquarters. NCOs and officers grow through the ranks as a part of command teams, be that the platoon sergeant and platoon leader, company commander and first sergeant, battalion and brigade commanders and command sergeant majors. But those command team developmental assignments don't really exist for warrant officers. Chief Dohan explains more about that and what helped him in spite of that. So I am not sure that any of these positions will set a warrant officer up, a technical warrant officer up to be a command chief warrant officer. We go through our entire career as a technical warrant officer, studying books, being very technically focused, technically oriented, trying to tell people as close as we can, a binary zero or one answer on something should or should not be done so that the leaders can exercise mission command and make the best decisions. And, and we offer, you know, the best flexibility. So then you turn around and you say, after 17 years of everything you do is grounded in doctrine. And you're going to say, now I want you to focus on people and leadership. And you probably should abandon your technical expertise because now there's a person, there's a soldier that's in that position doing that job. And if you start descending into their realm, you're actually taking opportunities from them or, or you're building resentment. So I, I don't know that any position sets up somebody to be a command chief warrant officer. I think that if I had to choose a position that postured me for it the best, it would be the Joint Readiness Training Center. Because I had seven years there watching I think it was around 80 rotations in that seven years. 
and we got to watch human behavior at the most stressful times. We got to identify trends and it actually personally and professionally developed me to start looking at why are things the way they are? Why did this person do what they did? And let's look at how we curb that behavior if what they did was teetering in the wrong direction. So if we if we got a platoon leader in a firefight and, and the battalion sends 15 resources to that platoon leader, but he can he can only manage three of them then maybe the battalion should wait and let the platoon leader ask for what he needs. You know, you know so it's, it's a cultural thing and it's what our more seasoned soldiers get to do, but I feel like it was really accelerated at the training center. It, it really it really filled my kit bag and my, uh, my self-development domain. And then when I got to the United States Army Europe, I was really frustrated. As we we're moving around through the headquarters and we're doing things, it, it just did not seem like the normal organization that was that was streamlined and well-oiled. And then it occurred to me, I didn't go to any school, any professional military institution to, to prepare me to go to an ASCC or a CJ flick. And so I took a step back and I looked, and I said, you know what, nobody else has either. There's no school for an ASCC or an ASCC that's also a CJ flick. So, you know, we're just all leveraging our own experiences and trying to get through this. Right, and it definitely put a different perspective on me. But so, it, it helped me get along with everybody a little bit better. It helped me be a little bit more patient, and it helped me continue to to move forward on that aspect or that culture of let's ask why and understand why things are the way they are, so that we that we can move on. Along those same lines, I asked him since it seems warrant officers don't necessarily have the background leadership education and command team experience NCOs and commissioned officers have throughout their career. Did the Army at least have regulations that detailed command chief warrant officers' duties and responsibilities, especially given his previous statement about warrant officers' use of regulations and technical manuals to guide them in the performance of their duties? Absolutely. The, the first thing I said when they told me that I was going to be the 10th AAMDC command chief warrant officer is holy smokes, where do I go to read about what that job is, right? Because again, I, I've i been called a little extra. I, I might go to an extreme on things, but if I can't read it, it's somewhere signed in some doctrine, then, then it's hard for me to wrap my head around or go execute, especially as a technical warrant officer for 17 years. And that didn't exist. They, We said, we, the Army said, we're going to do command chief warrant officers, which, oh, by the way, special forces, aviation, and the National Guard have been doing it for years. We just now picked it up in the air defense branch, and the MI branch is also doing it. Um, so it's not everywhere yet. However, that, that was the first thing I looked for is, hey, where, where can I go read about what I am supposed to go do? And, and it didn't exist. So I went and I talked to the boss. I went and talked to uh, General Brady. And when General Brady left, I had the same conversation with General Barnett. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing what they wanted me to do. And I think General Barnett gave me, General Barnett gave me my favorite metric. He told me he wanted me to do 10% technical, 10% warrant officer, and 80% command focus. And then I think last month is when the Milper message came out stating that uh, DAPAM 603 and AR 600-20 
is now going to have, the next update will have a codified definition of the Command Chief Warrant Officer and Senior Warrant Officer Advisory definitions. But that, that certainly was a challenge because across the force, all the different commands were doing different things with their, with their Command Chief Warrant Officers. Some of them were dual-hatted to be their old job plus the new job, and they treated it as an additional duty. And on the same subject, uh, CW5 Dixon Carter, she was a senior warrant officer to the chief of staff of the Army, senior warrant officer advisor to the chief of staff of the Army, but it was an additional duty for her. And that also got codified this year. So it is now an official position. Um, somebody else will come in to do her original job and, her, and another person will come in to be the senior war officer advisor to the chief of staff of the army. So we've, we've made huge pro progress in those arenas and it was definitely helpful that the army defined the job so that we could standardize across the force. Next, I asked him to discuss any news he could convey to the broader audience about initiatives affecting the warrant officer cohort across the entire army. Those items that had been worked over the last several years that were just now hitting the street. Okay, so what's new for warrant officers in general? I can start with merit-based promotions. This promotion board that was just released had approximately 20% of the personnel selected for promotion were merit-based promoted. And I, I really tried to dig in and understand what the criteria was um, that they were selected to be merit-based promoted. And really all I could find was they were gonna promote the top performers based on their promotion board order of merit list. So I, I don't know what would tip the scales on a packet to be merit-based promoted. So if anybody wants to know how to get merit-based promoted, I would say just continue to try to do better. Another initiative that we have going on is the direct appointment. And that's basically uh, street deceit for MOSs that are not aviation. Aviation has done it for years to where you can walk straight out of high school and go into WCS to be uh, an Army aviator. But now there are additional MOSs, uh, for example, cyber, that you could go to street deceit. Direct commissioning is happening in the Special Forces and the M Engineer MOSs. Uh, they will take select Sergeant First Classes and make them CW2s immediately upon accession. Retention bonuses for W3s and W4s on certain MOSs that are 90% or less aggregate strength. They're offering 30,000, 60,000, or $100,000 bonuses for two, three, or four years, respectively, continued service. And there is a lot of growth across the, the Warren Officer cohort, just simply as a base of uh, modernization. I followed that with basically the same question, but news and information more specific to the Warrant Officer career fields within SMDC. Okay, so for the 140s, our accessions are improving drastically. In June, I went and I visited a Warrant Officer Advanced course at the uh, schoolhouse, the uh, Center of Excellence. We had over 70 students across the three MOSs in the class. Now that is significant because having 70 students in a classroom at one time, two years ago, we wouldn't have had 70 students for the entire year. So our accessions are, are doing really well. Our 140 Lima MOS is looking really good for strength. 140 kilos and alphas are still, we're still having a little bit of a retention problem with them. But having 70 students in a classroom at one time, that, that was really reassuring. 
and it seems like we're really getting out there on the uh, air defense culture campaign for warrant officers. Unfortunately, we are losing some of our 140 alphas as JTAGs within the SMDC community as JTAGs transitions over to Space Force. But meanwhile, our 350 series warrant officers and our 255s down the 1st Space Brigade, they're doing a lot of heavy lifting in space operations for, the, for all the COCOMs. 255s are involved all the way down to capability development and maintenance and certification of, of the systems. They're, they're doing an amazing job. In the next part of our conversation, Chief Dohan discussed what the future might look like for warrant officers in the command. All right, so in the next three to five years, if we anticipate the Army Space Branch, um, I most definitely see a need for a warrant officer in the Army Space Branch. I walked the ground with 1st Space Brigade and the SMDC Center of Excellence the last two weeks of September and we were specifically digging into the critical task for what a Army Space Warrant Officer would do. And when we finished that, I was convinced that a warrant officer would be critical to the maintenance of the systems and instrumental to the team's standards, evaluations, and trainings at all of the echelons. Then we looked across the Army to determine where those warrant officer positions would be. And we quickly found 40 to 50 billets that we would recommend that we would place warrant officers. Now, that is absolutely critical because in order to have an MOS, you have to have 35 billets to make an MOS viable. It takes 35 billets to make an MOS so that you have the appropriate amount of W01s, W2s, CW3s, W4s, and CW5s to make a healthy pyramid. Then you must access three a year to sustain it. So, Army Space Warrant Officer, absolutely critical because it is a very technical field. The equipment is incredibly technical and it is going to continue to evolve and develop. And as masters of emerging technology, the Warrant Officer will be perfectly suited to carry that on. But we must be very strategic and calculated as we try to grow our Warrant Officer pool because Warrant Officers come out of our enlisted population. And if we excess, excess too many too fast, we can end up doing more harm than we do good. Our conversation then turned to his time since becoming the SMDC Command Chief Warrant Officer. Point blank, I asked him if it had been an eye-opener for him, coming from an almost purely air defense background, moving to the Army Service Component Command Level organization that not only includes a technical center, a center of excellence, and operational brigades, but includes space and high altitude capabilities on top of air and missile defense. So everything we do is different in this command. Everything, we hear of spell space, right? I had interactions and dealings with JTAGs. I had no idea that we had an astronaut detachment. I had no idea that we were doing space operations. I had no idea that our equities in space went beyond nipper-sipper communications on a satellite. So I was absolutely focused in integrated air and missile defense and tactical data links. Now this just like everything is new. Everything is brand new to me and I'm just drinking from a fire hose and, and loving it. It's, just, it's all, it's amazing. As he's gained knowledge and experience about the command's missions, I ask what his most significant role within the command has largely been thus far. 
So that is a great question. Every time I think I see something that needs to be addressed, I'll start talking about it and somebody in this organization is already addressing it or has a valid reason why, why we shouldn't bother with it. So what I've learned is, is the tactical patience. I mean, there, there is a lot of, there's a lot of initiatives happening. There are things that are moving at the, at the proper pace because you don't want to outrun your own headlights. So I am trying to get in where I can be of use. I, I don't want to get into where I'm interfering with what anybody's got going on. You know, I, I, like I said, when I, when I did my change of charter, I just want to be part of the success story. And, and so far, 90% of the things that, that I think I've identified that need to be addressed, they've got a team of experts already working on it. I'm just trying to stay out of the way. <laughs> so honestly, I am very privileged to be the CCW of SNBC. Becoming a warrant officer was the best thing I've done in my career, and I am extremely proud to work for all of the warrant officers in this formation. Closing up our nearly hour-long discussion, I asked Chief Dohan to conclude with some of his personal thoughts. Basically, what was significant in his mind about warrant officer contributions and their future? Messages not just for SMDC's warrant officers, but for each and every one of us throughout the SMDC Global Command. I would offer that warrant officers are accelerating the Army's understanding and use of their complex systems. But I'd like to see that I'd like to see that increase. And I'm sure several people just had a reaction, so I'll try to explain that. A few years back, the United States Army in Europe hosted a warrant officer symposium, and General Cavoli gave us opening comments. And something that he said really stuck with me. He said, make sure that you are contributing to the development of others. And I thought, wow, what if I measured my own performance by how well the people around me performed in respect to my expertise. So I went high and right trying to get warrant officers to stop focusing on actually operating their systems, but to start instructing the soldiers, non-commissioned officers, and officers around them on how to use their systems. And that way, Chief is now developing special teams of soldiers and developing soldiers that are ready to be accessed as warrant officers. But of course, this plan didn't survive first contact. So many daily circumstances get in the way of this, such as MTOs and TDAs. And for example, an 880 war officer normally doesn't have any soldiers around them to mentor. But I'm convinced that the leadership gives us some thought that they could bring the war officers in, train up NCOs, and then the NCOs can pass it on in their training and therefore making everybody better in reducing single points of failure. And I'm also in favor of retiring the term recruiting. I don't think we should be talking about recruiting when it comes to warrant officers. I think our warrant officers should be developing our soldiers so that our soldiers get better, our soldiers learn and grow. And when the soldiers are accessed to become warrant officers and they go to WABC, they're already performing at the CW2 level. To learn more about SMDC's exciting missions, units, and people across the world, check out our social media or webpage at www.smdc.org.
www.army.mil. For the High Ground Studio at Redstone Arsenal, I'm Ronald Bailey.